Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning. Go to Acts chapter number 26, if you would, please. Acts and chapter 26. We're also going to turn over a few pages to read in Acts chapter number 28. So Acts 26, and then also um, Acts 28, just a couple pages over. I might mention even while you're finding your place there in Acts 26, that um, Luke is the author of Luke, of course, the gospel of Luke. And um, he explains to the recipient of that letter, and he's also the author, this would be like volume two of the letter that he wrote to Theophilus, Theophilus, a Gentile believer. And he wrote to him, I just flipped back um, and looked at the verse in Luke 1, 4, he says he's writing these things to him that he might know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been taught. Now, I'm not sure if I quoted that just exactly right, but I think you get the idea. Luke is saying, there's already been other eyewitnesses accounts, but I want to give this account as well under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Theophilus, that you might know you've not believed some kind of a bogus fable or fairy tale, but this is verifiable truth. And so he's writing to encourage him in his faith. Now, who here doesn't need encouragement in their faith along the way? All of us do. But then also to understand the message of salvation. So I'm reading in Acts chapter 26 in my Bible reading. And there's a phrase here that stood out and then also a phrase in 28 that we'll look at. So let's just begin reading in verse number one. And then we'll explain the context as we get into the message here this morning. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Well, that's telling a Baptist preacher, preach. Man, does he. <laughs> then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. In other words, he's saying, Agrippa, I know that you have some context to all of this. And we'll explain as to why he makes that comment later on. Wherefore, verse number three, the last part of it, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now, he explains in verse six, and now at this current hour, at now I stand and am judged. Notice this, please. For the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. I stand here today judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto the fathers. The hope. The promise. Made by who? Made by God. Unto who? The fathers. The Jewish ancestry. The promise made. Verse 7. Unto which... Promise our 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel, he's referencing our 12 tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, 
I'm accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought an incredible thing with you that God should raise the dead? <laughs> we'll, we'll stop our reading in chapter 26 there, though he goes on and we'll reference it. And he's given his testimony about how God commissioned him to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to the light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins. Okay, now chapter 28, if you would please just briefly. This is um, after the voyage to Rome, the rather eventful voyage. And uh, they come to Rome. And then Paul, it says in verse 15, I'm sorry, 17, that it came to pass that after three days, Paul called for the chief of the Jews. The chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there's no cause of death in me. But when the Jews made, spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For, notice verse 20. For this cause, therefore, have I called you to see you and to speak with you. Notice this in the last part of verse 20. Because that for the what? The hope. Because that for the hope of who? Israel. For the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. So the Jews make comment there and they say, we desire to hear thee because we have heard that this, this is spoken, of, spoken against everywhere. And so then in verse 23, we'll read one more verse before we get into the message. It says, when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, into Paul's home. He was under house arrest. To whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus. Notice this, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. See? <laughs> Preaching takes time. From morning till evening, he preached to them. G one, basically one message, Jesus is the Messiah. And he went from the book of Mo books of Moses into the prophets. And so I was struck with that thought, the hope of the promise made. That's our title. I'm just borrowing what Paul said, for the hope of the promise made. I hope you'll consider that with me and listen patiently. As Paul said, listen patiently, but I think it will be a great help to you because we haven't believed some cunningly devised fable, but that which has been foretold. So may God, may I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word today. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray for those that may not be saved, that you'd help them to understand that this was not done in a corner. This was not an afterthought with you. This was your eternal plan prophesied, orchestrated, and now proclaimed into the far reaches of the earth. And we're glad to get the message right here in Oklahoma. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated.
As I mentioned, the phrase there, the hope of Israel, really caught my attention. In fact, I thought about just giving it that title, borrowing the words of Paul, the hope of Israel. But I wouldn't want to convey, um, even just by somebody that would look in the bulletin, would say, well, I'm not of Israel, so what does this have to do with me? And I hope that by the end of the message here today, and even before the end, that you begin to quickly see, and I know that most of you know uh, that this fact, the hope of Israel, is the hope of the world. And that's why we're here. But we're, we're looking at the words of Paul. Uh, there's a lot in our, in our news right now about Israel. I don't know of any time in, in my lifetime, at least, that Israel hasn't been more forefront in, in the news and, and having been there this year and, and um, up in Golan Heights and also in the West Bank. We didn't make it down to that area near uh, Gaza Strip, except that we were in in uh, the Dead Sea area, and, and uh, we were in some places where there was obvious hostility, even, even then. I mean, even while we were there, there was a, an occurrence where, where, uh, where there was a, a car that was run into a group of people intentionally. And, and so, I mean, there, there's still a lot of that that's going on. And certainly after the attack on October the 7th, uh, there's, there's been very much uh, in the news, the hostility, the, the uh, hatred even towards Israel, um, that has been long-standing, the anti-Semitism against Israel that, that has been long-standing just this week, actually. I've been, uh, I use an, uh, an app to pray for unreached people groups. And a lot of the prayer this week has been for Jews that, that are in different parts of Europe as the Jews had been persecuted. They went to Europe and some of them went to Russia and then they were persecuted in Russia. And then so they uh, went to various parts. So the Jews are everywhere. I mean, they're scattered all over the world. Um, and uh, so anyways, that's had my attention. And so here I, I'm, I'm taking all this in like many of you. And then I come across this phrase that Paul says, I'm standing before you today in this, this court setting essentially for the hope of Israel, for the hope of Israel. Uh, well, we need hope. Uh, hope is very important. In fact, this morning, as Brother Sam Benzwanger uh, was given our uh, brief devotion, we just have a scripture reading and in the men's prayer meeting, and sometimes it's just, just that. It's just a reading, but a lot of times the men will make comment on it. And Brother Sam read for us uh, Romans 15, 13, that the God of hope, the God who produces hope, and, and uh, went on about, about that. It was very helpful that hope keeps us from despair. Despair keeps us from defeat. God never intended for believers, for Christians to live in defeat. The reason that we don't live in defeat is that we have hope. We have hope. The word uh, hope is used 54 times. This particular noun is used 54 times in the New Testament. The verb uh, meaning I hope uh, means uh, is used 31 times in the New Testament. Obviously, it means to look forward to with confidence. I referenced a few uh, weeks ago, maybe even last week, that uh, we use the term hope like, man, I hope my team wins. And, and in the sports world, that is not biblical hope because that is not with assurance. That is a wish. That is a desire. It is not a confidence. That's not the Bible hope. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying for the hope of Israel, like we hope this kind of works out. Oh, no, no, no. It's rather this. It's the hope of Israel. It's the steadfast assurance of Israel. It's what God did. Uh, in, in fact, it's that, expected, uh, that expectation that God was going to work. 
Um, and that's, in fact, why I intentionally chose Luke chapter 2 as uh, Simeon. All his life had waited for the Messiah to come. And God allowed him in his lifetime, with his own eyes and with his own hands, to hold the promised, the promised seed, the Christ, the Messiah. The, he got to see the expected one, the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel. Uh, one definition by a uh, man named Freeberg of, of hope means this. Expectation of a divinely provided future. Okay, I'm going to run that by you one more time. Maybe twice. The expectation of a divinely provided future. Okay, the expectation, what we're looking for. Of a divinely, that means this, basically, God is the one involved in doing this. The expectation of a divinely, the divinely um, provided, I like the word that he used there, a divinely provided future. So here, Paul is saying, I stand here today, can, can I put it in those terms, for the expectation of a divinely provided future, not just for Israel, but for anyone who would trust this same hope, this same one who was indeed the hope of Israel. So I hope to make the case today that he is not just the hope of Israel, but that he is indeed the hope of the world. And he is thus your hope, Amen. our hope. And that's why we sing so much about it. That's why there's so many songs. What is there, 700 some songs in the songbook? And that's why, that's why we sing so many uh, songs even at this time of the year is that our long expected hope had come. So no doubt, I mean, this is our custom. In fact, this is just a biblical approach to understanding the Bible. You've got to put it in its context. So what's a little bit complicated about this, and the reason I'm asking you to hear patiently, is that Paul is in a series of, of court standings that are directly related to this very important part of our New Testament. That he is a, the God of not the Jews only, but of the non-Jews, the Gentiles. You and I, though there may be some here, I, I know there may be some that have at least uh, some Jewish ancestry, but for the most part, we're all non-Jews. Uh, Paul was a Jew. In fact, he says, I was a Pharisee. So this really generated an incredible controversy in their time. That Jews and Gentiles would meet in the same auditorium and sit at the same table and eat the same food and add to that controversy that the Jews were now permitted to eat bacon. I'm telling you, that, well, that is a blessing. But that also was very highly controversial at their day and time. And Peter had a real hard time with that. So, what is going on here is that just as it is today, there was a lot of hatred towards the Jews and there was a lot of hatred on the part of the Jews towards the Gentiles. It went both ways. 
We talk about our racial tension today, and certainly there is racial tension today, but there was then, and until Jesus comes again, there shall be. But there was hostility here. And in no, no place on the planet was that more evident, and really in many ways is that no more present or evident than in the epicenter, Jerusalem. Ground zero to this hostility. I mean, in fact, uh, the church there, the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, come on now, isn't that right? The First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, pastored by James, the half-brother of Jesus. I say half-brother of Jesus because uh, James had an earthly father. Jesus did not. He was virgin-born, but they grew up in the same home. And so now James is the pastor there in Jerusalem. And so that church especially was caught in the crossfire as they were trying to reach the Jews that were there in Jerusalem, but then they were also trying to support what was going on in the worldwide effort to get the gospel out to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And so this got to be such a controversy because once a Gentile was saved, what then? Do they have to, do they have to become a Jew in order to be saved? Hey, no, listen, it doesn't matter your nationality. Because all people of all nationalities have the same exact problem. We're all sinners. We've all offended a holy and a righteous God. And he's provided salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, God chose the people group of the Jews to bring the Messiah into the world, to give us the scriptures. The Jews kind of got proud of their heritage. They got proud of the fact that they were Jews and they looked down their nose at the Gentiles and they would feel contaminated by being around the Gentiles. And so this was the controversy then. And so that this church in Jerusalem was much caught in the crossfire. Paul has made at this point three missionary journeys. And on the end of his third missionary journey, he's making haste. He's doing everything he can to get to Jerusalem for, for the observance of one of the Jewish festivals. You see, because just because, because uh, Paul was now a Christian did not mean that he didn't care about his Jewish heritage. Is everybody following along with this so far? I want to make sure that you're still uh, listening patiently as we get to the essence of the message, but, but Paul faced a lot of opposition in his day and time from both Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews opposed him. And they said he's opposed to circumcision. Hey, listen, he was not opposed to circumcision. He preached what circumcision was about. He was opposed to saying that circumcision is necessary for salvation. They accused Paul of being opposed to the law. Paul was not against the law. Paul used the law to show that, yes, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the law causes us to shut our mouths. <laughs> Romans chapter 3 and verse number 19, that, the, whole, that the, the earth might be quiet before God, silent before God, because we've all broken his commandments. So Paul was not against the law. They accused Paul of being against Moses. But how many times do you read that Paul quoted Moses and, and referred to the teachings of Moses? They said that Paul was anti-Jewish. And yet Paul was making a great effort to be in Jerusalem to observe the Jewish feast and to bring an offering from the Gentiles for the Jews. He's not against the Jews. So what happens then, and I, I'll need to speed this up a little bit. I, I get it, I understand it, but I just want to make sure everybody's understanding why he's in this courtroom, standing before this Herod Agrippa, and what exactly is going on, and why does he refer to the hope of Israel? It's all in this, this context of, of the, the tension that was between the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. And, and so to make the point, 
James says to Paul, Paul, we have these four men that are under a vow and they're going to go to the temple. Why don't you go with them, accompany them? And he would purify himself to enter into the temple area. And that Paul did. Whether you agree with that or not, that Paul did. Paul had no shame in doing that. Paul had no hesitation in doing that. And so he did so. He, he uh, went according to the laws of the purification and entered into that area. So then what happens is that there's these, this group of Jews that were all the way in Asia who evidently followed Paul and caused problems right there in the temple. And they accused Paul of, of basically desecrating the temple area because he brought a Gentile into the area. Not at all. Not at all what Paul did. Okay, now if, if Paul wanted to pollute the temple, why would he even purify himself? So this, this doesn't stand uh, in terms of an actual accusation. But then there's this whole big, this whole big uh, riot that ensues. And, and so Paul is nearly pulled up pulled apart as the Jews are arguing over him. And, 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 and so then the, the Gentiles, the Romans get involved. Paul stands before a Jewish crowd speaking and preaching in Hebrew. And they listen to him up to a certain word. When he says Gentiles, the sermon was over. They stopped listening to it. And then a group of 40 men wanted to kill Paul. And so Paul was, was secretly transported far north to Caesarea Maritima, where, where we got to go this year. And actually, they just unearthed a, a cell that they think may have been where Paul was uh, imprisoned uh, that has just been discovered within recent bit. And so then the Jews from Jerusalem come up to where he is there at the governor Felix. And he stands before Felix. He's going to stand before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. Everybody got that? There is a quiz at the end. Come on now. You got to work with me here. So he stands before this man named Felix, and he's given a, an account there. But the Jews bring up their lawyer. I'm pretty sure this man named Tertullian, Tertullius, rather, he probably, if today, he definitely would have commercials with an easy to remember phone number like 444, 444, whatever it is, it'd be like, Tertullius wins. I'm just, I'm just guaranteeing you that. It's exactly how it would be. This man, Tertullius, takes his spot there before Felix and he says, he flatters him and he, he makes the case against Paul and says he's basically a pest to this society. He's a ringleader of a dangerous group known as the Nazarenes. He's planned to profane the temple. He does all these things and then Paul gets his turn. Only this time, as, as he stands there before uh, Felix, uh, Felix is, I think, under conviction. He says, I'll wait till Claudius Lysias comes. And so he puts it off. Hey, listen, you know, sometimes when God begins to knock on your heart's door and you get under conviction, sometimes what you try to do is put it off to another Sunday. Put it off to another time. God's showing you that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. And it's easy to put it off. I want to encourage you right here. Don't put off what God is speaking to your heart about. And so then Felix says, I want to hear him again. And this time he brought, he brought his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, the Bible says. Her great-grandfather was Herod the Great. Matthew chapter number two, the one that had the babies killed there. And, and so her brother is, is going to be uh, Herod Agrippa II that Paul's going to stand before. The Herods were messed up. Come on now. The Herods were, the Herods were part... They at least had some claim to some Jewishness and, and they'd be a little bit more than what we're going to go into here today. But they do have a little bit more understanding of the Jewish history and the Jewish theology than what Felix would have. It's interesting. 
You got time for this? Okay, good. Drusilla was arranged in marriage at age 14 to a man that she didn't like and she lived unhappy. Felix, his name means happy. He'd been married two times already. He encouraged Drusilla, divorce your husband, marry me and I'll make you happy. Drusilla married him at age 16. And, and so now Paul the preacher stands before Felix, who's in an adulterous relationship with Drusilla. And he reasons with them, Paul does, of uh, these things, righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. Felix has had enough. And I imagine Drusilla had as well. So anyways, they, they, they dismissed him. And so now he stands before another man two years later, a man named Festus, who had come into that area of being the governor in, in, in Caesarea Maritima. And so he's standing now before this man, Festus. And Festus figures this, you know, if I'm going to send this man to, to Caesar, because Paul had made a plea to Caesar, he didn't want to go back to Jerusalem because he knew he wouldn't get a fair trial there. And, and Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Paul had always wanted to go to Rome anyways. And this would be a free ticket. That wasn't why he did it, but that's exactly what happened is that he got a free trip to Rome. And, and, and so Rome paid the expenses to get the gospel there. <laughs> he stands before this man named Festus. And Festus says, you know, if I'm going to accuse a man of something and I'm going to send him to Caesar, I probably ought to have some charges. But I don't know what I'm sending him there for. So then he brings in, he brings in this man, Herod Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II. And he's going to be there with Bernice, his sister, and all the tabloids of the day said, well, there's more going on than just being brother and sister. And that was taking place. And that's who Paul stood before that day. And he preached to this man, Agrippa. Does that help you? That's the context of Paul standing here before this man, Agrippa, who is a sinner, his wife's a sinner, Festus is a sinner, Felix was a sinner. All these people are sinning against God. And yet there's a God in heaven that loves them enough to give them the opportunity to have the preacher of many, a preacher stand before them in Paul and declare to them the hope of Israel. Now that phrase would have been controversial. The hope of Israel as he stood there, but he's going to make the case that, listen, he's not just the hope of Israel, but he's also the hope of the whole world because it is the hope of the promise of, that was made of God unto the fathers. And he said this to our tribes and he made the point to them that he's coming. He's coming. Messiah is coming. Isaiah. Malachi, Micah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all, all the prophets, all the way back to Abraham and to David, they all stood as a sign to say Messiah is coming. And all the details, I just got in the mail this week, even a, a tract that's really written towards the Jews. And it's, it's, it, it says this, how would you recognize the Messiah? And there's like a fingerprint in the background and the outlay of this as though, you know, our identification. How would you identify the Messiah? And it talks about the 25 Jewish preachers or prophets that God used to give at least, and maybe even more, 333 details about the Messiah hundreds of years before he would come. And yet they missed it. The Bible says that, that Paul reasoned with them. Did you see it? He reasoned with them out of the scriptures, out of the law of Moses, and out of the prophets. 
Hey, I'm just establishing here for us today. Salvation of God was not an afterthought. No, this is the eternal plan of God that had been orchestrated by God, prophesied by God all the way back to Genesis chapter number three and verse number 15 when he said that the, the seed would come and now the seed had come as Jesus was born of a virgin. All these signs. I use a Bible program called Bible Works. It's no longer um, available, but nonetheless, it, it still works. So I use it. And it's a good tool for cross-references, meaning like this, this passage has some parallel passages in these passages. And typically, uh, you know, it'll take maybe a, a word or a phrase and it'll show where this word is used elsewhere. And it might get about four or five verses in, in, uh, in, you know, in the Bible that it's referencing. There maybe would be more. But on this particular verse in chapter 26 of, of Matthew, I'm sorry, of Acts and verse number six, it just kept going. Four pages, single spaced, 12 font, one inch margin of these verses. In fact, there are 63. What time do y'all need to go? 60, 63 verses that it has listed here saying the hope of Israel, the hope of the promise made of the fathers. And it just kind of walks through them. Genesis 3.15, Genesis 12.3, about how that God says, through your seed, I'll bless all the nations of the earth, speaking to Abraham. And then in chapter 22, and then in chapter 49, that the Messiah would be of the tribe of Judah, and he would rule and he would reign. Deuteronomy chapter number 18, about the prophet that would come. Second Samuel chapter 7, that he would be the seed of David, and he would sit upon his father's throne. Isaiah chapter 7, and verse number 14, to keep wicked King Ahaz, the Lord gave a sign since he didn't want one. It says this, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. And in our, in our time of preaching through the book of Matthew, how many times, friend, how many times did we see that Matthew said, this is in fulfillment of, and he would quote a verse, and then this is to fulfill this, and this is to fulfill this, and this is to fulfill this. I'm just simply saying to you, listen, the Jews have no excuse. Isaiah chapter 9, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. In Isaiah chapter number 11, and it even says that unto him the Gentiles would seek. Isaiah chapter 53, they don't want you to read it. The Jews don't. It's sometimes referred to as the forbidden chapter for the Jews. Why? Because it gets a little bit uncomfortable thinking about this all fulfills who Jesus is. It's also in Daniel chapter 9, Joel chapter 2, Micah chapter 5, Zechariah chapter 9, Luke chapter number 1. It goes into the New Testament as well. All these are signs that, listen, God did what he said he would do. Hope of the promise made of God unto the fathers. Paul says, that's why I'm in your courtroom today, sir. Because God said, and God did because you are who you are as a sinner and you need a savior. Hey, can I tell you something? Paul was consistent whether he was talking to some peasant farmer in Lystia or if he was talking to a king that was sitting upon his throne who'd come in with a great pomp. It did not matter to him because at the end of the day, friend, every one of us are sinners that desperately need a savior. 
And God gave all these details and God gave all these signs pointing to the fact that he would come and he came. Amen. You ever been driving on I-44 or I-40 and you see these massive signs that say something like this? See fantastic caverns, right? Or maybe one of your favorites, Lambert's. Huh? I mean, you may, you may be just outside of Tulsa, friend, and you're already thinking about throwing rolls. Signs. Sign. You, if you go west on I-40, Klein's Corner. I mean, by the time you get there, you think, man, this thing better be good. All these signs. Where I grew up, Sea Rock City. Everywhere, you know, Sea Rock City. See this, see Merrimack Cavern. See, see this cave. Some say you see one, you've seen them all, right? But, but it's, they're advertising, they're saying, it's just 50, it's just 400 miles. Okay, here's, here's a good one. Bucky's. Bucky's. Bucky's just 400 miles away. Bucky's just 200 miles away. Bucky's, you know, 100 miles away. I mean, all this. And then ironically, I, I know someone who missed it. I'm not going to name who it was. How did you miss that? Huge. 100 gas pumps. I mean, that's kind of hard, hard to miss. <laughs> they have all these signs. See this, see this, see this, see this. And then if you miss it, they might even have a sign that says this. Turn around. You missed it. You know what Paul is doing here? He's saying, listen, all these prophets organized by God all these years have said, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And the Jews missed it. Paul is standing here as a sign saying, you missed it, turn around. He's the Messiah. The Messiah is not a national movement. A Messiah, no, it's not, it's not Israel as a nation. No, the Messiah is a person. And the Jews have sadly missed it. But it's not just Jews that missed it. Paul preached that day of righteousness and judgment and, and temperance and judgment to come. And people squirmed in their seats because they knew that they were sinners. And the Bible says that some believed and some did not believe. He preached there in Rome and, and he was assigned to a Roman guard who had to stay with him all day long and hurry, hear him preach. And some of them maybe got saved. But he preached to those men that came, those Jews that came. The Bible says, did you catch it? From morning until evening. You say, man, I'm kind of feeling like that's what's happening here. From morning until evening. Well, listen, can you imagine why? I mean, given all the verses that I just mentioned in really fast motion and probably made Miss Debbie work extra hard doing sign language, going through all those rather rapidly. And he went from morning until evening, showing them, demonstrating that he is the Savior and you need him. And some of them believed and some of them did not believe. Which may very well be the case here today. I want to ask you, 
based on what you know from the scriptures and based on what has been presented even here today. And if you want a copy of all these verses, I'd be more than glad. If you want to spend from morning till evening going through the verses, I'd be more than glad to do that. You say, you're just saying that. No, I'm for real. I'm, I'd be glad to do that, to show somebody from the word of God that, listen, this is not a fable. This is not a myth. This is not something that men have made up to control the people. No, this is God, very God who came and was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and was crucified on an old rugged cross and buried in a cold grave, but who came forth from the grave, verifying everything that he said and demonstrating that he was indeed the son of God, the Messiah, the son of man, Emmanuel, God with us. How much more evidence do you need? That he is who he said he is. Let me, let me ask you this related to that. How much more evidence do you need that you're a sinner that needs a savior? How much more evidence do you need that your way's not going to work with God? How much more evidence do you need to see that man's plan for salvation is always going to come up short? How much more evidence do you need that you could try a million other things in this life apart from God and it'll come up empty over and over again? He's our hope. The hope of Israel is the hope of the entire world. And thus he is your only hope. And when you put it in that context, it makes perfect sense that we are here today rejoicing in the fact that he came and in the fact that he is coming again. Because he has provided and we have the expectation of a divinely provided future. And that's why we run buses. And that's why we invite people to come. And that's why when I walked down the hallway a moment ago, I literally saw red and yellow, black and white. Children created by a holy and a righteous God. Created just like you. Reflecting the creativity of God in their different personalities. And boy, did I see some different personalities. Some bouncing off the walls and others quietly moving along, scared out of their minds. <laughs> I saw Indian. I saw Chinese. I saw Asian. I saw Native American. I saw Hispanic. I saw white. I saw black. But there's only one plan of salvation for every one of them. He's the only hope they have. He's the only hope you have. Friend, that's why, that's why we give to world missions. That's why we're very intentional about the desire to start churches or help struggling churches. It's because he's the hope of all the world. You're here today and maybe your life's in a big mess. Or you know that you're not saved or there's things going on, even as believers. Come on now, let's, uh, we're not immune from the struggles and the problems of life and, and even the struggle with our own self. He's still our hope. And Paul, by the way, I might mention this too. Paul went through all that he went through 
because of that hope. So whatever you're going through, there's still hope. And for the hope of the promise made of God unto the fathers, it's worth it that you go through the trials of life and still serve God, who is our hope. And have joy in believing, joy and peace in believing, as we heard this morning in the men's prayer meeting, Trust in Him who is our hope. Let me ask you this morning before we conclude, is He your hope? Is He your hope? Let's stand together here this morning. I would imagine that there's someone here today that maybe God's even been speaking to you for a good number of weeks. We have guests here. I don't, I don't have no idea just how God has intersected your life with the Word of God, the Gospel, and maybe shown you your need of Christ. He's able to save you today. Let me encourage you. Don't put it off like Felix did and Agrippa and Paul said that um, to, to Agrippa he was urging him to trust Christ and Agrippa said almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian maybe you're almost persuaded struggling wanting to put it off but I, I encourage you today don't put it off another day trust him today Heavenly Father I thank you for all the scriptures and how often we see that Jesus himself and Paul and Peter reasoned out of those Old Testament scriptures pointing to the Messiah, pointing to Christ. I pray for those here today that may not have the assurance of salvation. I pray that you'd speak to their hearts even at this very moment, God, that you'd show them the promise made has been fulfilled and that Messiah has come to save them from their sins, to forgive them. I pray just like you said of Paul, that you sent him to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. I pray that that would be the result of the message here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.